This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, April 3rd, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. What are the most reasonable assumptions that we can make about paying for the current size of government? The fundamental truth, according to Cato's Adam Michel, is that it is not feasible to try to balance the budget on the backs of high-income earners. And spending cuts, while regularly cast as irresponsible, simply has to be a substantial part of the mix. Whenever we have to make projections... Uh, whenever governments have to make projections about uh, this or that issue from climate change to, uh, you know, rivers to any number of things, we, we have to make assumptions. And what are the assumptions that are built into the Biden budget plan with regard to taxation? There's a lot of assumptions that go into uh, any budget, but the like, the main sort of messaging point that the the Biden administration wants to make is that the that high income folks are not paying their fair share and that we can uh, increase taxes significantly on them to to balance the budget. But if you actually look at the details, I think that his budget tells the opposite story. It's actually incredibly difficult to raise large sums of new revenue from high income uh, folks for sort of two reasons. One, because they already pay uh, high uh, high income tax rates. But uh, secondly, I think more fundamentally, there's just simply not enough uh, high income people in the United States to cover the current budget deficit. And, and that becomes apparent when you actually start sort of trying to add up all these numbers. So uh, the what I have heard is that it is viewed broadly uh, as irresponsible to balance the budget on the backs of recipients of federal spending it, it's it's yeah it's often reported as sort of irresponsible or even implausible to suggest that reducing uh, that we can sort of reduce federal spending as a way to stabilize the federal budget uh, however, it's accepted at face value that we can raise more than $2 trillion, that's the size of the current deficit, on an annual basis uh, on by just raising taxes on high-income people in the United States. Uh, but when you actually sort of look at, at the numbers, the, that, that second one is, is, is really mathematically impossible. The federal government uh, comes in and takes every additional dollar earned that high-income people earn over, say, $500,000. Uh, you still can't cover the federal deficit that we're expected to have next year. Okay, so uh, what what might that look like? You said every additional dollar on high earners, uh, people making 500k or more, what does that actually look like in terms of revenues versus uh, the deficit? So if we were to implausibly take every every dollar that someone earning over $500,000 a year uh, earns over that threshold, uh, we'd be about $200 billion short of covering next year's $1.7 trillion uh, deficit. The, that 100% tax rate is, I say, implausible because we know that at a certain point, people either move to another country or stop working uh, altogether. All uh, but if you uh, sort of Say okay, well, we want to expand the number of people that 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 would be subject to these high tax rates, lowering that threshold to say two hundred thousand dollars a year. Uh, still, if we make sort of reasonable assumptions about how high tax rates can actually go, we still can't cover projected deficits. And so the re- the reality is, is if we want to pay for the government we have, let alone the the government that President Biden is proposing in his budget. 
ultimately taxes have to go up on on everyone. The sort of fundamental truth is that big government is expensive and we can't just charge it to a narrow segment of, uh, of Americans. What do you make of the, I believe, Center for American Progress report saying the big drivers of deficits and debt are in fact tax cuts themselves? Yeah, so that this report's been circulating uh, and they they claim that the budget deficit is the product of 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 tax cuts and not driven by spending. And I think this is the the report's misleading in a couple of different ways. There's some technical reasons like a large portion of the Bush tax cuts that they include in there uh, were was was fixing the AM, the AMT which was an old piece of the of the tax code that would have uh, that Congress fixed every single year and they just fixed it permanently so it wouldn't capture middle income taxpayers in in these tax schemes. But also, if you just look at historical revenue trends, the revenue as a share of GDP is projected to remain above its historical average. Uh, it's currently at almost a two-decade high. And, and so I think it's just if you look at the sort of broad, uh, broad, Sort of projections from places like the Congressional Budget Office, you can see that it's spending and it's spending. It's the increase in spending over time that ultimately is driving the deficit and not uh, the revenue side. And, and even when we uh, look at uh, projections from the Congressional Budget Office, they're not looking at, you know, the, the they're they're not going to look at a projection and say, well, there's no political will for this. They're just going to do their projections based upon what Congress tells them they're going to do. And so however realistic Congress's decisions are or what Congress promises to do down the road, uh, CBO just takes that at face value. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. The CBO baseline is the sort of projections that they put out. They take current law as as given. So if Congress says um, taxes are going to go up on on most Americans in 2025 or at the end of 2025, like they currently do when the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act expires, CBO says, great, well, uh, that's what's going to happen. We'll, we'll, we'll sort of show you what that looks like. And so the current, even the current sort of projections are highly optimistic because they assume that taxes go up in the future. They don't assume, they, they assume that we won't have another recession in the future or, uh, or need to ha- do additional national defense spending or sort of any other uh, pandemic, whatever it might be. All of these things ultimately just make those, uh, the sort of current numbers that they put out look that much worse. So uh, going forward, what's the what's the path to rationality between revenues and spending? I know that's a huge question, but in in the broadest strokes, what what do you believe that ought to look like? Well, I'll start with maybe a slightly different um, a different piece of that question, and that's what do other countries do uh, when you have a, a a welfare state like the one we have or the one that and the and the one that we're headed towards let alone the one that president biden is proposing in his budget uh the way that every other country around the world pays for this is with high uh high taxes on middle class and low income taxpayers uh, if you take a sort of average low uh lower middle income taxpayer in the united states they pay about $6000 less in taxes than that same person would pay in your average european country uh, so that's that's the reality of of sort of funding the type of government that that we're headed towards the the path forward that i would prefer to see is instead 
bring spend, uh, spending in line with, uh, with revenues. And that looks like addressing the largest drivers of, of the sort of federal budget deficit, deficit going out into the future, um, the major uh, entitlement programs, uh, but also all the rest of the budget sort of all needs to be on the table. And we need to have a sort of political consensus that we can't c- continue spending well above our means. And if we do, Politicians need to be clear with people that that means that taxes have to go up. And I think that would be unfortunate, but that's the reality. The phrasing here, the mangling of the English language that occurs every time uh, certain politicians talk about certain policies, uh, I can recall, I guess it was Joe Biden saying, suggesting, hey, uh, CEO of a Fortune 500 company or these these large companies themselves should never pay less in taxes than secretaries or teachers or firefighters. Now, how fair is it? Even let's let's assume that what he meant was tax rates. Is that even a fair assessment? So when the president claims that. A CEO pays less than their secretary. He's sort of he's including not just income when he's when he's calculating those tax rates. He's including he's including their their total wealth or their the sort of unrealized capital gains, things that are in the stock market they haven't sold, and that's how they they fudge those numbers. But when you actually look at data from President Biden's Treasury Department, they they look they sort of calculate average tax rates at different income levels, and the this data will will show you that the the federal income tax system is highly progressive. The low, the lowest income, 20% of, of earners uh, pay on average no no federal taxes. They are often uh, pay negative tax rates or receive sort of benefits through things like the earned income tax credit or the child tax credit, whereas the top 10% of income earners uh, uh, pay about 60% of all federal taxes. Uh, and that's at the tax rate of about 27%. They sort of slice the data even narrower. The top 0.1% of the highest income earners uh, pay even higher tax rates of well above 30%. And so it's just sort of on its face not true that high-income uh, folks get away with paying uh, no taxes or even you know, very low tax rates. And, and making that that leap, and it is a huge leap, of uh, including unrealized capital gains as part of your income or every every American's income when you're trying to calculate somebody's tax rate, that is an assumption that uh, the Biden administration and many members of Congress would love to see enacted as policy, which is to say taxing uh, what you have in the market. And my question is always, what well, do I get a refund when my portfolio goes down and I have unrealized losses in the market? And of course, the, the answer has to be no. Yeah, well, that, that's just one of many uh, practical problems with actually implementing these types of these types of systems. I think the the core, uh, sort of fundamental uh, thrust of what they're what they're getting at is when you say uh, we, all your entire wealth, sort of everything you have, your bank account, not just what you earn every year, should be subject to taxation every year, is is really turning on its head the the 
the way that we raise uh, that you should the government should be raising revenue. Um, it's it's instead of taxing the, the sort of apples that you pick from the tree each year, it's taxing the tree itself, which then shrinks the 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 thing that the apples come from each year, decreasing sort of in this analogy the the the, the economic the, the investment and economic growth that's necessary for people to actually be earning the incomes that the government then can can tax. It's really a perverse way of thinking about how to how to raise additional revenue. And uh, and if it actually were to get legs and be implemented into law, I think it would be a really uh, uh, scary thing and, and incredibly detrimental for economic growth. Adam Michelle directs tax policy studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.